Brother David's going to be reading out of, I'll be reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 11. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says, uh, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Verse 15. And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And chapter 7, verse 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to gather today with fellow believers. We ask that you would just continue to bless this time, that you would bless Brother David as he studied your word. God, that you would give him a remembrance of what he studied this week, God, and that you would just bless it. We ask that you would just bless anyone uh, or anyone that might be lost today, God, that you would just uh, draw to them and uh, show them their unrighteousness, God, that they would uh, turn from their sins and turn to you. And we ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Seth, for the, the wonderful prayer and reading. I want to thank Pastor Eric for the opportunity to preach today, and it's a blessing to cover uh, this passage. Uh, this is a passage in which you can sense the love that the Apostle Paul had for the church in Corinth. Paul, who was a former Pharisee, Jewish Pharisee, had a strong and deep abiding love for the Corinthians, the Greek Gentiles, and unfortunately, because of, of sin, which so often happens, that love was not reciprocated by the Corinthians. So when we read this passage, this is chapter 6 of the second, the second letter to the Corinthians, but here he takes a moment to make a startling statement and give some commands to the Corinthians and to us, which are beneficial and timely for our day. So we're very grateful for this passage, which is so helpful, not only to the Corinthians, but to us today. I believe this is a, a passage that we all need to apply, not only um to our church, but the church at large in our nation. But as seeing how we're preaching today to our church, we want to apply it to ourselves. Not to the person to the left or to the right, 
but to yourself. We want to take this message to heart because the Apostle Paul, when he writes, he's writing and speaking the truth in love. We want to see that as we read this section of Scripture. He he is not crushingly hard on them, but he is speaking truth in love to the Corinthians. And we see that from verse 11 going forward. His desire is, as has always been, is to speak truth. And he does that from the very first verse, verse 11 that he, he, he writes. We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. The idea there is we're as transparent as we can be to you, Corinthians. We, we speak what God has inspired us to speak. Uh, sometimes it is harsher than others, but the message is clear. The message is inspired from God, and you're to take it to heart. The Corinthians sometimes ignored those uh, commands. Sometimes they ridiculed them. Sometimes they um, uh, rebelled against them. But nevertheless, Paul spoke and continued to speak with a sense of love for the Corinthians. And even in verse 13, if you look down in that, He's writing there, and and he's really just saying, I I want you to reciprocate the love that I have for you. I want it back. I want your respect. I want your love for what uh, God is using me to do in the life of your church. So, So this message, even though initially to the Corinthians, is a message for us in our day today because we don't want to miss what he says in verse 12. Verse 12 is really a remarkable verse when we look at it and see that uh, part of their their uh, appeal to Paul was, you're, you're restricting us. You're confining us by what you were saying. The, these attacks that the, that the Corinthians saw Paul making uh, were, were, were confining and restricting them. And verse 12 simply says, uh, you are not restricted by us. You are restricted by your own affections. You are not, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Yes, there's restriction going on, but it's not from us. It's from you. Now, notice what he's saying there. The problem that the Corinthians had, the problem that many of us have, if not all of us, and the problem with the church at large today is largely the same. It is not a lack of love. It is a case of too much love. Notice verse 12 there. Uh, You're restricted by your own affections, not by a lack of affections, but by your own affections that already exist. You, you are not having a dearth or a, or a, a lack of love. You, your problem is you have too much love and the love is misdirected. It is a worldly love and it is a self love, not only for the Corinthians, but for us in our day as well. And this is what Paul addresses. After verse 13, excuse me, 
After verse 13, he simply uh, goes on to say in a loving, kindly manner, uh, the clear way to deal with this uh, too much love that they have and that we have. And he he does that beginning at verse 14 with a simple command, uh, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, we don't have to be Old Testament or New Testament scholars to know that uh, this command was as unpopular in Paul's day as it is in our day because he gives five contrasting questions to justify what he said in verse 14. Verse 14 there, by the way, is drawn from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10, Uh, really from an agricultural command that was given that simply says, uh, do not uh, uh, plow with an ox and a donkey together. um, That's simply the verse. Uh, Do not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Do Do not have these animals unequally yoked in your plowing. And there was a reason for that. These animals have different natures. They have different strengths. Uh, You're not going to plow straight, by the way, because the ox is going to probably wind up dragging the donkey uh, because donkeys are pack animals, but they're not necessarily plow animals. So uh, you're not going to be successful in doing this. This is not a good course for a farmer to try and do, no matter how desperate he may be or she may be, no matter how much need there is for plowing to occur, no matter the fact that the animals are available, uh, the farmer was not to do it. It was commanded not to do it. And in the same way, the Apostle Paul says, uh, no matter how appealing it is, no matter how convenient it may be, We are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This is a command from Scripture, and uh, to explain that completely uh, would take more time than we have, but it certainly involves uh, marrying someone who is a Christian, but it, it really goes far beyond the idea of just marriage. It goes to, to the very extent of uh, committing yourself or putting yourself under influence uh, to those who are outside the faith. So we're not to be unequally yoked or bound together with unbelievers. And again, we mentioned that there's uh, five questions that he gives. And the first one there is really speaking to to uh, uh, morality, the idea there that uh, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness. Now, the Corinthians lived in a a pagan culture, but their city in particular, Corinth, was especially notorious for wickedness. Even Greek playwrights who wrote in that day, when they would introduce a character that was a Corinthian, that character would almost always be a drunk because 
Corinth was so associated with excess. It was associated not only with uh, excess of alcohol or other spirits, but it was associated with with sexual immorality that um, the temples there had temple prostitutes employed to bring people not only into a religious worship, but to utilize uh, those sorts of things to to uh, bring that worship along. We'll we'll leave it at that. But the idea there that this is a notorious city. It, it was a profoundly wicked and corrupt. Not unlike our day, by the way, but the Corinthians had come to the, many of them anyway, had come to the point of, of coming to faith in Christ, yet failing to leave their old lifestyle behind. And that's really what the Apostle Paul is addressing here when he asked this question, what fellowship has righteousness? And righteousness really is right living. It's doing right according to God. Lawlessness, of course, is the, is the very extreme opposite of that. First uh, John chapter 3 tells us that sin is lawlessness. So one is doing right according to God, uh, righteousness. And lawlessness, of course, is doing sinful actions. So so, uh, what fellowship do they have? None. The answer is none. And the answer to all these is going to be none. So if, if your, your translation has different qualifiers there for, for fellowship or the next question there, a communion, or after that, a chord or part or... Uh, any any of those, uh, the answer is still none. The answer to all these questions is none. The the believers of that day and the believers are of our day, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are to leave our old life behind. We are not to to bring that into our uh, lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called, we are separated out, as we'll see here in a moment, uh, to God and away from worldliness. So when we see these uh, questions, the, the answer to each of those is none. The, the, the next question there uh, in verse 14 is, is speaking of uh, what communion has light with darkness. You know, light is a way that God's word describes believers uh, very oftentimes we are to walk or live as children of light. God himself is described in First John as light, as being light. So Jesus himself said he is the light of the world. So light is uh, attributed to and associated with believers where darkness is simply the absence of light. So uh, what what communion do they have? None. There's no communion between light and darkness, and there never should be. And yet, in the lives of the Corinthians and in the lives of many in the church today, there there's an association between that which is righteous 
that which is lawless, that which is light, and that which is darkness, which should never be. There should be a separation. We should put aside what we once were and walk in light. So when we look at these verses, uh, we are to recognize the, the extreme differences between uh, each of these. And in verse 15, uh, Jesus himself is mentioned. It speaks there, what accord has Christ with Belial? Now, Seth pronounced that differently, and I'm fairly confident that I also am mispronouncing that word. So uh, I join in with Seth in that, because this is a Hebrew word that's uh, often used in the Old Testament, speaking of wicked men, and yet here it is applied to Satan or the devil. So the, so the uh, contrast here is between Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ there is not his last name. Christ is a title, which means the anointed one. So, so the contrast there really is between uh, what accord has Christ, the anointed one, with Belial, the worthless one. That word in Hebrew means worthless, the worthless one. So again, notice what uh, the Apostle Paul is doing in the contrast of these words, seeing Christ, the exalted, glorified Son of God, the anointed one. And he has no accord. He has no uh, affiliation. Uh, there's no peace treaty there's nothing which relates him to the devil. Nothing which relates him to Satan. He, there's none. There's no accord at all with him. And then uh, going all along the, the rest of that verse, speaking the same is true for a believer uh, with an unbeliever. They have, there's no part for a believer and an unbeliever. Does that mean we are to have nothing to do with unbelievers? Uh, not at all. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who loved God perfectly, the only man ever to do so, the God-man, the Son of God, loved God with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his soul, with all his strength. And yet, he loved people more than anyone has ever loved people. He was accused by his enemies as being a friend of sinners. Praise God that our Lord Jesus is a friend of sinners even today. We're so grateful for that. So uh, his loving God perfectly, the narrowness of his love in loving God enabled him to love others uh, in a way that we have never seen in the world. The, this one solitary life changed the course of history uh, the the lord jesus christ uh, coming to earth as, as a baby being born of a virgin uh, living a sinless perfect life in obedience to god the father giving his life on the cross shedding his blood dying on the cross being buried and raised again from the dead to save all who would believe in him, to give them eternal life. Uh, we have life in his name. We 
are saved for heaven forever through faith in Jesus Christ. And that love that he had was a narrow love, but that narrow love, that narrow focus enabled him to love us in ways that uh, no one else ever has or ever will. So that is to be our example, not not to live as many in the Middle Ages did. They took uh, some of these verses and decided, well, we'll just build monasteries. We'll escape the world. We'll leave the world behind. We'll build, build convents and monasteries to escape the world. But there was a problem with that. The problem was they took themselves with them when they built these monasteries and convents. That is not God's plan, nor has it ever been God's plan. God's plan is for us to live lives uh, investing in the lost, being a a witness to them, to, to seek to bring them to faith in Christ, to be in the world, but not of the world. So that, that is to be our goal, that is to be our purpose in, in life and salvation. The next verse we want to look at real quickly is uh, to understand what, what he says concerning um, what agreement has the temple of God with idols. And of course the answer is none. It, it should never be that way. There were wicked kings in the in Israel's history that had introduced idols, but uh, they're not to have any part with with the temple of God. And here he, he explains to them again, this is not the first time. First time was in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he tells believers that you are the temple of God. Here he says, you are the temple of the living God, contrasting the, the one true living God with all the the gods of those dead uh, dead idols. So uh, he goes on from this point to begin to to bring out truth from the Old Testament. The, these are not direct quotations moving forward, but but they are truths drawn out of the Old Testament, promises for us as believers to hold on to and believe. And notice what these promises are, where he says, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So we as believers are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are subjects to God's reign in the universe uh, in a way that uh, people from the world, the unbelievers, uh, are not. So coming to faith in Jesus Christ brings yourself in as a subject uh, into the kingdom of God. And that was, of course, the message Jesus preached from the very beginning. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So when we look at verses like this, these are precious promises for us to hold on to. And then verse 17 speaks, well, therefore, because, because of these things, because of these promises, because of what uh, Paul has written, uh, we're uh, to come out from among them and be separate. We, we have been called to come out 
from the world, not not in a way, again, separating out in a monastery or as a monk, uh, but but as believers, not to be drawn into the influence of the world. We are not to compromise our lifestyle as Christians. We are to come out from among them and be separate. Notice what it's saying there. That's really one command with two aspects. We're to come out and we're to stay out. We're not to go back into the lifestyle we once had. We're to come out and be separate. And that whole teaching there is speaking about how we are to recognize that that not only are we to, to live lives of holiness, we are to do it in a way that we're not even to touch that which is unclean because there's a promise involved there where God says he will receive us. And that receiving there is receiving us with favor. So the promise there and the warning is don't don't be defiled. Don't touch that which is unclean. It is so easy to do in our day. There are so many things that are tempting, that are alluring to us, but, but we're not to even touch them. We're not to even go there. Um, when Paul writes in Ephesians, speaking of fornication and other sins, he says, don't even let it be named among you. You know, don't touch it. Don't, don't be polluted by it. Don't be stained by that sin. We're, we're to live holy lives. You know, one of the uh, criticisms of, of those in the world speak of, Christians as being so uh, heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but uh, to be so heavenly minded, we're, we're no earthly good. But but the reality is, for the most part, uh, we're we can become so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. So we we should seek to live lives that honor and glorify our God to recognize. We have been separated apart. And, and, and verse 18 gives another glorious promise concerning what, what God is saying to us through the Apostle Paul, drawn out of the Old Testament, says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, said the Lord Almighty. That word Almighty there is a remarkable word. It's only used twice in the New Testament, and it means literally the one who has his hand on everything. Isn't that great? Isn't it wonderful to know that our God, he has his hand on everything, that nothing escapes his sovereign reach? He has his hand on everything. That that gives me such confidence when uh, some, some of the basic things in life can be uh, hazardous for many of us. But God has his hand uh, on all things and we we glory in that. That not only are we subjects of his kingdom, we have an inheritance because we are sons and daughters of our God, our Father. That we have an inheritance in him. You know, we, we can take such joy and, and pride 
in, in our earthly families and we should seek to be the best parents. We can be the best brothers and sisters. We can be uh, aunts and uncles and beyond, uh, the best relatives we can be. But there's no comparison to what we read there in verse 18, that we are through faith in Jesus Christ, we are sons and daughters of God himself. If we ever, ever doubt that he cares for us as his children, think back to yourself, you parents, how much you care for your children and you, and you children, uh, how much your parents care and love for you. So, you know, extend that uh, infinitely. God's care and love for us is far greater than any care we have. As much as we love our families, uh, His love is so much greater and beyond. So, so the, the statements that Paul is making in a loving, kind, gracious way to these Corinthians is simply saying, don't live like the world. Don't be that anymore. Yes, you were that in once before you came to Christ, but now you're being called out of that. And he goes on in verse one of chapter seven, really to, to end this with, with a great encouragement. You know, having these promises, beloved. So he's writing, he's saying this to believers, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What what a great, glorious way for the Apostle Paul to finish this, not as a tirade, but as a loving, uh, coming alongside, encouragement, admonishment of these Corinthians. He's not giving up on them. He's had a long-standing a discussion with them, and that continues on in this letter. But but he's so loving in what he's saying there. You know, put aside what you know. Let's cleanse ourselves from all the filth that that we once had. Uh, and yet, the Christian life is more than than putting off bad things. It's growing in holiness, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And that word perfecting there it really is speaking of maturity, of growing to an end of holiness. The idea there is to continue to strive to grow more and more like Christ. Uh, years ago, Jerry Bridges wrote a book called The Pursuit of Holiness. And it's really based on, on this word because that, that word per- perfecting really can be seen as pursuing holiness and that's what we should be as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ just as the Corinthian church was admonished and encouraged by the apostle Paul I pray today that we would be equally admonished and encouraged by these words from the apostle Paul that we would seek to live more and more like Christ putting off the old man putting on the new man walking in holiness more and more for God's glory. So let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the privilege of uh, coming to it. We thank you, Lord, that your word is eternal. 
Your word is timely. And we pray today, God, that it would not return to you void. We praise you for that. Your word uh, tells us that your word will not return to you void, but it will accomplish what you please and it will prosper in the thing for which you sent it. We trust you for that now, Lord Jesus, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.